creeds and criticism meet. Allison, and I'm and Nick. And you're Nick. And I'm Nick. And today <laughs> we have on uh, author and theologian Kristen Padilla of Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, author of the book Now That I'm Called. And it's uh, just, uh, it's been a little time coming, but it's been, uh, it, we're already just so stoked. We've talked for a few minutes already about kids and babies and weather and theology and all that sort of stuff. And it's just a pleasure to have you on with us, Kristen. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so uh, for those that don't know, and they are criminally wasting their time if they don't know who you are, uh, <laughs> you are, of course, marketing, uh, last I checked, of course, marketing and communications uh, director for Beeson Divinity School. Like, what is like, what does that entail? Because that, to me, is interesting. Yeah, it's not a typical job that goes with the topic of my book, um, but it basically anything that goes out externally through uh, for the Divinity School comes through my office. So I oversee everything from we have a, a podcast, um, our magazine, our nice. emails, our social media, our uh, event promotion. Um, really anything, our blog, website, anything that uh, we want to get out to the community um, comes through me. And then um, not part of my job <laughs> title per se, but I have some other opportunities. Uh, like I lead a mentor group of uh, female students at the Divinity School and um, working with other colleagues across the university campus um, mm -hmm really with the undergrad level, uh, working with female students who are pursuing uh, a ministry degree. So um, that's that's what I do in a nutshell. Oh, awesome. Nice. And uh, I have to jump ahead because I was, I was reading your book on Kindle last night. And it says yep. on page, oh gosh, uh, page nine-ish, and it says, at the time of writing this book, I, that is you, am in conversations with the clergy about the possibility of formal ministry within your new denomination. So... One, it's just awesome to hear about women excelling in ministry and, yeah. and going where God leads them. But before we get into the wonderfulness of that, what is your kind of story? Because there's so much packed into that great sentence about new denomination and journey and uh, conversations with the new clergy. So just in a nutshell, what was, what's been your journey from uh, not necessarily women in ministry per se on, on, that, on your perspective there, although you feel, feel free to bring that in with you as much as you'd like. But where 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 have you come from in, in your life and in your kind of upbringing and stuff? Were you always like respected when it came to the idea of a woman being called to ministry? Did you encourage pushback or how has all that kind of worked for you? Like where, where are you today because of all that? Yeah, uh, 
Great question, and feel free to stop me if I go too long. <laughs> but I grew up Southern Baptist, uh, and the new denomination that, I ref- that I'm referring to my book is um, we're part, my husband and I are part of the Episcopal Church. Um, the, there's a, a church here in town, the Cathedral of the Diocese, um, located in downtown Birmingham that we're a part of. Uh, so growing up Southern Baptist, my dad's a, a pastor and still is, and I so much to be grateful for, for that uh, church and upbringing and denomination. I came to know the Lord. Um, in fact, my family history are Southern Baptists as far back as uh, we can trace. Oh, wow. uh, so it was a kind of a big deal to leave uh, that yeah. denomination. Um, but, you know, growing up in the family that I did, my parents, my dad, Uh, They were always very supportive and encouraging to God's leading in my life. And I and I truly believe that made such a big difference as to where I am today. Hmm. Um, Never brought up uh, me being a female uh, and the language changes over time. But as I look back, I can see. You know, God was working on my heart at a very young age. And to be honest, I. I, you know, I, I couldn't articulate it in this way, but I wanted to serve the Lord in the way that I saw my dad. Yeah. Um, and at the first, or the earliest memory I have of that, um, he was the only minister on staff. We were part of a very small church in East Texas. And so um, I wanted to serve the Lord. And the only role model I had was my dad. Um, nice. and, I, and I talk about this in the book, but I... It cried as a young girl, why didn't God make me a boy so I could mm-hmm. be a preacher? Because mm-hmm. I did see through nonverbal cues that to be in kind of that type of ministry, um, whether it was my dad or the traveling evangelist or when we would go to my grandparents' church, they were all men. Mm-hmm. And so that did present a bit of a problem for me early on. Um but yeah, so I've, I've, you know, in good Southern Baptist ter- terminology, I surrendered to a call to ministry when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And at that time in the 90s, uh, late 90s, that, uh, you know, the two options that my church gave me, um, well-meaning mm-hmm. people gave me, were to be a pastor's wife or to be the next Beth Moore because, you know, she was an anomaly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the one person that they could point to. And so uh, those were my options and uh, really struggled, even though I, you know, I, I felt a, a, I had a true sense that God was calling me to give my life to him in service of the church and the gospel, mm-hmm. um, even though I didn't know what that was going to yeah. look like. Um, but despite that confidence and yes, this is what God's calling me to do, um, I struggled with not finding avenues or finding role models for for women. And so it made the journey a little bit more difficult. Um, once we became Anglican, which happened, my husband is a professor at Beeston, and he had his sabbatical in 2014, and we went to Cambridge, uh, England, for six months. And there attended an, an Anglican church, mm-hmm. and um, I just, we both felt like that's where God was calling us and we had really come 
I, at least in, in my sense, I, I felt like I'd come home. Um, nice. I just really loved the liturgy. And um, so, yeah, at the time of writing the book, uh, which was, it came out in 2018. So this was in 2017. I was, you know, sensing the Lord asking me to reconsider what it means to serve him now as an Anglican hmm. and specifically as an Episcopalian. Um, I'm sad to say that that hasn't um, come, you know, that hasn't um, gone any further at this point. Um, the I've had a lot of conversations with the clergy and um, it hasn't materialized in any um, way yet. Uh, but also, you know, I, God is working in other ways at the university and at the divinity school. And so I'm just trying to be open to where it is that he wants me to serve him. And right now it seems that he's putting me in places where I am able to perhaps encourage the next generation of women whom he's calling to serve the church. And he's putting me in places where I'm able to talk to church leaders about how they can um, create spaces for women, how they can formalize a theology for women in ministry. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, well, calling like the life, Christian life is a journey. So it's true. <laughs> Ask me in a year or five years and my answer may be different. Well, and yeah, as women, like we have to be a lot more flexible because um, there's a lot of closed doors um, mm-hmm. implicitly and explicitly. I'd say the implicit ones are a lot more difficult to uh, navigate. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, in in our denomination, American Baptist, which is, um, well, kind of where the Southern Baptists were in the eighties before the, the craziness kind of happened. Um, we, or at least our region, uh, Southern California, Arizona, and, uh, Hawaii, we, orda- we, the one, the first woman ever ordained in our, our region, uh, goes to our church yeah. where, I'm a, where I'm an associate pastor. And, uh, yeah, your story lines up very much with her because I got to hear uh, her story about how, uh, how, on uh, the one hand, how liberating it was to answer the call to ministry, whatever yeah. that looks like, and but also having to really struggle of finding a place. Yep. And so, for example, I remember reading something by John Piper in undergrad because it was assigned to read to me, and I was reading it, and there was this big emphasis on. Basically, I wanted to be a pastor, and my first thought was, you know, becoming an egalitarian. I wasn't fully egalitarian at that time, but was reading that being like, there's something so wonderful about not having to worry about where God is going to place you. Yep. You can kind of go wherever you like, and yeah. and I'm like, there, that's that's an absolute blessing. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think a um, lot of evangelicals too perceive um, basically that your calling has been. Um, has the stamp of approval from God if you if everything just falls into place. And mm-hmm. that's just not the experience of, I would say, a good many people around the world and a lot of people that are uh, marginalized in different contexts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it's interesting that y'all say that because a few years ago, or maybe a year ago, I was listening to a man who, I he he's someone I respect and appreciate his ministry, but I was listening to him uh, give a testimony of his call. And he's he, the, the words he used and the way he described um, the context for in which he received his call to ministry, that he grew up in a church, a Christian family, mm-hmm. uh, 
that through scripture and through the people in the church and gifts and all of that, that it kind of all culminated to, I want to serve the Lord. And then he said, so I went to seminary and then I became a pastor. (laughs) And (laughs) it kind of broke my heart because I could identify with everything that he had said about discerning his call. Mm -hmm. Um, I could relate to the context in which he grew up. Uh, to go into seminary, but then his ability to immediately go into a position to serve the Lord was where we kind of, <laughs> where our stories differed. Yep. Um, because it, was, it wasn't that way for me. And I know just being in a seminary context, it's mm. not that way for so many women. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the the odd, not the odd, but the rare, it's, it's more, it's rare for women, at least coming out of seminary to go right into a ministry position. Oh yeah. You've got to do some other things on the side. Like that's, um, that's what I've essentially tried to do. Um, cause I, I, you know, you, you peer into the future in a sense by looking at other women and say, okay, these are the concrete struggles I'm likely to have. Um, here's how to prepare. Um, I think in my seminary class, the uh, when I was doing an MDiv at TED's, um, I was the only person that didn't get... They asked what... Um, what was the specific question? We were asked to go around and say what um, position we were called to after we were done. <laughs> And yeah. I was the only one that basically said, I'll go wherever I can get a job. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and they right. were just kind of baffled and said, what do you mean by that? And I I said, well, um, unfortunately, um, people that look like me don't really have the same amount of opportunities. And I'll try my best. But um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure God will use me wherever I go. But you know, if I have to work in Taco Bell and run a Bible study, I'll do that. Um, I, I told right. them like, you gotta be flexible and, you know, and I think that's how yeah. the world works for a lot of people too, that aren't even necessarily looking for a ministry calling, or I would say even a leadership calling, like they're, you know, they just, they try to be flexible with their job, their job so that they can support their family. And I think, I don't know, I think the world's a lot more gray and difficult than simply, I felt convicted um, and everything fell into place. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about, especially being um, at a seminary, is, is that the lack of uh, jobs and placement for women um, in ministry positions. And, I, and in fact, I, w- I would say a lot of the conversations I've had with women who are considering seminary, the number one reason I get from them about not coming to seminary is because of not, will it be worth it? Yeah. I spend the time, I'm going to spend the money, but will anyone hire me? And I think there's a lot of opportunities for research here because a lot of what I'm about to say is based on at least just circumstantial (laughs) evidence or what I've experienced from talking to other women is that um, a lot of churches, when they do hire women on staff, uh, generally speaking, it's often because, well, that woman grew up in the church or um, we knew her or we specialized functions um, too. needed someone part time or maybe, you know, we don't, 
we see her as a program director yep. and less of a minister, so we don't require theological education. Um, so I think it's it's a, a it's a special challenge for women with theo- theology and theological education to find a place in the church. And um, even even uh, a church that I had a conversation with recently, they're looking for a children's minister and. I asked if they're looking for someone with seminary education, and they aren't. They're looking for someone who's good with children and can be in charge of a program. Yeah. And so my question to them is, well, is that the same standards that you expect of your youth minister and other other people on staff? So I I think uh, – there's just so many challenges when it comes to hiring women with theological education in the church. And that's just something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, and moving toward your, your book, now that I'm called kind of answering God's call to, to ministry for women. Um, I was really impressed in reading it because um, you made a several uh, really nuanced qualifications kind of just really early on about how um at least, and this is the sense I get, while writing as an egalitarian, you're not writing necessarily for egalitarian uh, women. Um, of course, you know, answering the prohibitionist passages is something you, of course, do and all that. But um, it, it was as I'm reading, I'm like, this is such a more interesting book because it's not basically a, uh, and I don't use this phrase loosely, but like a rah-rah, go egalitarian kind of book. Although, you know, I'd have no problem if it was that. Um but it's mm-hmm. almost as if you're writing now, now that you're called and called doesn't mean ordained ministry or anything. It's just kind of more of a, a spirited call, if you would, like a first Corinthians 12, 13, 14 kind of call, you know, mm-hmm. to ministry. Um, was that intentional on your part or was that something that more kind of grew out or am I hitting you with something that you have never thought about? And I'm apologizing right now for putting you on the spot. <laughs> no, that's a really insightful and great question. Uh, you know, I, so my husband and I are so funny. We don't use um, egalitarian or complementarian. We just, because, and the reason why is because we find that people sometimes will not even have a conversation mm-hmm. with you oh, yeah, yeah. or they'll pigeonhole you according to what they think is meant by a certain term mm-hmm. or um, they'll, you'll never get the conversation off the ground. Yeah. So we, <laughs> which we have, which we have no problems with. I mean, we have friends who like we're good friends with, or Osvaldo is good friends with Craig Keener, who identifies as an egalitarian and Mike Bird. And I mean, I, you could look at what we say and believe and make some good ideas sure. of who <laughs> we are and what we, what we, what we believe. But, um, I think that place of, um, I don't know what to call it, maybe trying to be in between or in a place. I, I think a lot of it has to do with where I was trained at Beeson, yeah. which um, under Timothy George, he uh, is huge into ecumenism. So he has been a leader in the evangelicals and Catholics together. And uh, once in Christianity Today in 2005, I believe, uh, proposed a new ECT, a new um, egalitarians and complementarians together is what he called it. Um, but I was trained at a school where where we believed on the essential in the essentials, uh, the Apostles' Creed, 
And then we saw that we had more in common than, than what we had differently. And so because of that place, that's how I, I wrote the book out of that place. I mm-hmm. wanted I wanted to write a book for women that were in complementarian circles, in egalitarian circles, in I don't know what to call myself circles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I think at the end of the day, I would hope, although this is not always the case, I would hope that there are some things that we can, at least for the women who are in those churches and circles, can agree upon. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I, having grown up in, in the circles in which I did and having had a lot of relationships and connections with, with women through uh, Beeson and other schools who were in complementarian circles, I found that that they needed the most encouragement that God calls women to ministry and that God's plan has always included women um, from the beginning, all throughout scripture, throughout Mm -hmm. church history. And, uh, you know, I, I was, that's a lot of other than, you know, I really felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to write the book. I, I just, my heart went out to the church and, to these women within the church who I was having re- uh, conversations conversations with, who I was in a relationship with, mentoring. And they, you know, you could look at them and you could see God's gifting on their life and their, and their, that God was wanting to use them in certain ways in his church. And yet they were questioning it. So yeah. I wanted to come alongside them and provide a resource that said, okay, let's look at scripture and we can find here that the God you serve calls women yeah. and has always included women in, in his uh, plan. And so, yeah, so I was trying to be in that place of being able to talk to many different women in many different contexts. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's kind of the that's the, the direction I took. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. I mean, and again, like we can... I think sometimes focusing on the question of leadership can be too narrow for where people are at. And, you know, as we know, the, the context itself is a lot more gray and multifaceted. And the reality is, even if you're maybe gifted um, to lead, you may not have the opportunity to do so. Right. Right. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. And it's, and I think there's a lot to be said too about, um, those who are, who feel, a rest- let's say women who feel a restriction on their ministry, yeah. um, whether that is, they believe that's cultural because there is, you know, there are cultural situations where it's probably not safe or appropriate or whatever. Um, but those mm-hmm. are, I think a little more, a little more gray. Uh, but for women yeah. who feel, uh, a specific, um, I can't go here, but I can go here. I think there's a lot of power to that because it also speaks to them. And it doesn't kind of say, well, it's either egalitarian or nothing. I mean, for me personally, I'd love for the church to basically become fully egalitarian so we never even have to have that kind of conversation. Um, <laughs> you know, everyone who is called by God um, basically is is welcomed in that sort of thing. But for the mm-hmm. for where the church is now, um, and I, I don't believe, and I'm, this is a little off topic, but I don't believe in coercion or force or anything like that. I'm not that kind of theologian or anything like that. And God lets us choose bad things, frankly, corporately. Yeah. Mm. Things that are not in our best interest. And I think um, God has let 
Uh, many of us reject um, women um, in ministry, and I think we have um, not give, gotten the benefits from that because of it. Well, and, and in addition to that, you do run, and I think in some sense, um, what's a good way of saying this? Um, for for women who 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 feel a restriction, there is there is a, there is an empowerment in realizing that you are called on the basis of being a woman, um, and I think. Uh, at, from where the church is now, I think the church, and I don't know about Beeson entirely. I know Beeson's a little more open on that sort of question. Um, but places like Fuller or Northern or Truett Seminary, where it is, um, I, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it's a requirement for, it would be the right word, but the seminary vision is egalitarian. Yeah, Fuller, it is a requirement, I believe. Okay. Um, if I remember correctly. And I, and I think... I'm curious to know what you think. I, I think the future in the academy is, lo at least within the evangelical-ish kind of sphere, is trending towards egalitarianism, generally speaking. I'd say in principle, because practice is where it gets, and this is where, like we were talking about, implicit is a little bit more difficult sometimes. Yeah. Um, we've at least got the statements at a lot of these schools, and in practice, you know, in many ways, I would say, but sometimes... I, I'll say it's not necessarily a all or nothing. Right. Um, so maybe to bring it full circle, I, I think the the ideal for for a, a church right now that is divided on this, I don't want to call it issue, I hate calling it that, but but on, on the question of how to properly interpret scripture maybe is a, a nicer way of putting it. Um, places like Beeson and Wheaton and other colleges where they say, you know what, we, if you, we will, and I'm thinking in terms of professorial and, and hiring and stuff like that, um, we are not going to say yes or no to the question of women in ministry, and we're not going to not hire you if you are a complementarian or egalitarian. Um, do you see that as being a step towards not necessarily an egalitarian or a, uh, I don't know what we call it, a mutualist model, Scott McKnight likes to, call, like to call, likes to call it. Do you see that as being kind of a way of maybe bridging the divide between kind of the hardcore, you know, the purest models on either side as a way of being like the the... The reality of ministry, and, and I'm sure you know this, is so much more difficult and gray that maybe yeah. just beginning to realize that, and this is a really, really long way of saying it, so I apologize. Um, I really, I think it's basically maybe a way of saying, look, we are the church. We are the mm. church. We are the body of Christ. We are, and I and I think in an age of you know sectarianism, and if you vote this way, you're not on my side. You're not all this sort of stuff. Do you think maybe getting the church to basically realize that she is the church is perhaps the way of at least beginning to heal the divide? Yeah, I mean, I would hope. I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at, at places like um, you know, I can speak about Beeson, or at least my experience at Beeson uh, is this idea. So it's funny. I'm going to diverge a little bit, but. You know, for some complementarians, a place like Beeston isn't complementarian enough. You know, my book wasn't complementarian mm -hmm. enough, and so it was um, not even mentioned in certain complementarian circles. Yeah. And then on the other hand, it's not egalitarian enough. Um, but as what I have appreciated about it, about being at a place like Beeson, is this idea that the church is bigger and that we are. We can move forward in Jesus Christ. Um, I remember an Anglican professor as when I was still a Baptist student um, 
looked us in the eyes and said, we are different regiments in the same army. Hmm. And so that I, that uh, is a good picture of kind of at least what I've experienced had a place to be sin, and not just on the question of women, but baptism, the Lord's uh, table, the Holy Communion, um, other uh, questions re- related to ecclesiology. It gets a little messy, and sometimes you rub up against each other in a in a negative way. But I think um, it's been, at least from what I've seen, a good way to move forward. And it's not like when it comes to women that places like Beeson have no statements regarding women because we do. I mean, we yeah. believe that women can be trained equally. In fact, we want them to be as our men. We want women to take preaching. Um, we want them to take the biblical languages. Um, we believe God calls them. So um, there isn't a kind of just because a place might be ecumenical or interdenominational doesn't mean that there's uh, no uh, uh, statement or some kind of neutrality on women. No, we we do believe that God calls women and we want them to be trained just like our men. We want to help place them in ministry just like our men. Um, We want them to thrive in ministry just like our men. so where where then it gets um, where then it gets different is okay what it's going to look like for you will yeah. depend on which denomination you are. True. So if you leave here as a Baptist, this is going to look differently for you than if you leave here as a um, an AME um, an AME woman who will be able to be a pastor. So yeah, so I I hope I hope that these places can. Um, be uh, places where we can uh, move the conversation forward. And, you know, as as you may have touched on this when, when you were talking a few minutes ago, but I, to be honest, I think a lot of churches, a lot of, especially complementarian churches, if I were to guess, they don't really have a theology for women in ministry or um, maybe women at all. I think to the extent that they have anything, it's to say, here's what women can't do. Yeah. And then they think it's efficient um, as if ooh, we've, <laughs> we're safe. <laughs> we don't have to worry about, um, uh, I don't know, heresy or offending God and his words. So as long as we outline what women can't do, okay, we're, we're good. We're safe. Yeah. Um, so I would <laughs> to a lot of those churches, um, no, you, that's not, enough. And, and honestly, the way a lot of those churches operate, um, it, there, there is no, um, complimenting of the sexes Mm. from a standpoint of who's leading the church. It's all men, um, which gives a very, if the church is supposed to be the family of God, it gives a, um, a very different view of what the family is supposed to look like according to, you know, when they talk about families, nuclear families on, on the ground, you know, as needing men and women, uh, mothers and fathers, you go to the church and I don't see at least leadership wise, um, people providing soul care to the flock. Mm. I don't see women. I don't see that worked out. And so I, I, I think that it probably just has a lot to do with a lack of, um, theology Mm. that would, um, inform, those decisions that they're making. 
Yeah, and I think, um, was it Amy Bird? I, I think, yeah, Amy Bird. Yeah, uh, Mike Bird loves um, Amy Bird. Um, <laughs> yeah, and she, she's really done a lot to try to develop that other side of things, which I really appreciate. And Because here's the thing, it's hard, period, to approach a church. Let's say let's say you're a complementarian woman um, and you, you do want to serve, you want to lead in ways that, you know, wouldn't, you know, in principle be against um, your church's no theology. Um, <laughs> but when you're perceived through the filter of no, 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 it's very hard um, for your own gifting to emerge and to be truly seen and appreciated, especially if it's consumed by all the things that it, I guess you, in a sense, you're bi- there's bias against you from the start. Yeah, yeah. And I wish that these conversations began with, um, you know, so often I'll hear it, you know, this is grounded in creation, mm. which to me worries me a lot because it almost makes creation as something um, bigger than God or other than God or... <laughs> um, I don't, it, to me, I want to say this should be, we should start these conversations grounded in the Trinity and in Christology mm. and um, what does it mean to be made in God's image and to be um, a people in Jesus Christ. Um, I think if we started our conversations there, we might see a different fruit than if we start it with a so-called grounding in, in what we mean by creation is really how we read the creation story. Yeah, and a principle um, that they've derived. Yeah. Right, right. Reading back into creation from First Timothy 2. Um, but I, I, I would like to see these discussions uh, in the church on the ground being guided more by what does this look like um, as we think about the theological anthropology. Yeah. Who we are in God and who we are in Jesus Christ. Nice. Yeah. So I have a I have a question um, a question for you. Um, so you have actually accomplished quite a bit professionally, I think. And I know it's not necessarily like um, the all the overt ministry that um, would perhaps be ideal. What? But yeah, it, it seems like God has called you and gifted you, and that you have done very well with it. Um, what would you see as the concrete barrier? So if you had to name like, I don't know, three things, um, that have kept you from getting to that extra step to pass to full pastoral ministry or to whatever you believe you're, you're called to be professor, pastor, or whatever, you know, you know, whatever label we want to put on that. Um, I mean, I don't put any restrictions on it, of course, but, um, yeah, I would say, Lack of jobs, um, a lack of, hmm, you said three, lack of jobs, a lack of, of theology that would create the jobs mm. for us, uh, and lack of, uh, and I know this can be taken the wrong way because the term has been used in so many different ways. But lack of advocacy, mm-hmm. um, lack of those people who are in charge or who are the pastors or the elders or um, the ones hiring, uh, saying we're we're going to 
we're going to, and I hate to, again, this isn't the best term, but fight for you, or yeah. we're going to, um, to help you along. Um, so I've witnessed as, you know, as I mentioned in the book about what does this look like in my new denomination, mm-hmm. I've witnessed on, for me, a bit of, uh, a slowness mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, what's the right word? Uh, I guess that lack of, of, uh, yeah, we're, this is important. So we're going to make this happen. There we go. Quickly. Yeah. Um, but with men that have come along in the last three years. So I wrote that statement that you referred to earlier, Nick, uh, in 2017. So in the last three years, I've seen it go faster and differently for men. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, and, and I would say I'm at Beeson doing what I'm doing because of the founding dean, Timothy George, nice. who, although I didn't necessarily have all, what at least I thought were all the qualifications for the work that I'm doing, he saw something in me and made it happen and um, has continued to do that for me. We're writing a book together nice. on women of the Reformation. I mean, why would he, a, a Reformation scholar, want to write a book with me, <laughs> you know, I don't <laughs> have you know your stuff, <laughs> but he, he has, he has seen something in me and he thinks it's important to steward and to shepherd God's gifting in me. Yeah. Um, if I didn't have that, or if I didn't have the other few people I could mention who really advocated for me to getting the book, um, was Zondervan. Uh, my book, th- my book wouldn't be here hmm. um, because a lot of these things, whether it's publishing or jobs at churches or institutions, it's who you know. Yes, um, and it comes down to people who are willing um, for men and women to advocate for you yeah. um, hmm. to make that a priority. And so, where that hasn't happened, I think it's been at least on a human level. <laughs> uh, that's why, and and, and then I, I keep. There's such a, it's hard to know, okay, I believe in God's sovereignty, and I know God is is doing a work even though I can't see it, and maybe he was protecting me from something that I didn't know. Um, So sometimes it's hard to, when you're living through things, to know, okay, what's going on here? But I I do believe that um, we as the church need to do better when it comes to... um, when it comes to women, but I don't think it's going to happen unless they feel a theological, ethical, moral sense from scripture. Yeah. Um, unless they have the eyes to see, you know, what we're doing at the local church level looks nothing like what I'm reading in the early church Mm. or at the time of Jesus's ministry or, um, in the ways in which God has used women. Um, and then to feel that, you know, that, that sense of, are we really being obedient to God here by yeah. not stewarding the gifts of women in our churches and providing more opportunities for leadership, um, for those who are, uh, gifted and called in this way. So mm. I would say those are my three. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And where, you know, where one's treasure is, there's their heart. Like, um, and I think, I think that's right on. It really is a question of, importance. And I think a lot of people see this as kind of a add-on 
rather than mm. fundamentally recognizing another human being. Um, yeah. And yeah, and, and it really shows like, you know, when um, at the end of the day, does the person in charge act like the person in charge, you know, the leader that they're called to be? And do they do they um, show partiality and, you know, they help they go out of their way to help, you know, the men, whether it's, you know, getting promotions, um, whether it's, um, you know, keeping them safe, you know, and there's a lot of that, frankly, um, versus, you know, a woman, you know, in their congregation or um, university um, who has the gifting, you know, do they recognize that gifting and do they give them the the tools to succeed? Yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And that's for everyone, not just women. And just women just generally don't have that extra piece. Yeah, yeah. and I've heard that a lot from minorities. Um, yes. And, and, and uh, I, think, I think it was Nijay I've heard say that on a podcast before. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm wondering, too, you mentioned Christology and, and anthropology. And I had something that just kind of slammed into my, my mind when you said that in the best possible way. Um, do you, and I guess maybe a way of maybe framing it is we, we, we like to talk about creation. You know, we mentioned the creation accounts or the created order or whatever. And my first thought is we mean creation sequence, not creation order. There's a loaded term there, but I, I think grounding this in the incarnation and, and just roll with me on this. And you can tell me if I'm completely out of, out of, out out on my own here. But I, I think that the fact that you know, we're talking about ultimately the revelation of God revealed in Jesus Christ. We're talking about how God saw fit to unveil God's self for all of humankind to see, right? And if the incarnation is kind of our guiding lens, what we see is God, yes, Jesus became a man, but the significance is not placed on that. Rather, the, the gospel writers and Paul and everyone is just shocked that God would take on human flesh and be born of a woman, you know, and all this sort of stuff. Which doesn't mean all women have to be mothers or, or anything like that. I'm not trying to make that kind of inference. But the idea of the incarnation, that God made God's home among amongst uh, God's creation, that mm-hmm. God uh, revealed God's self, that God not only does that, but God calls us, that God does all these sorts of different things for us, tells us, one, that God is a God of great love and calling because God has our marching orders for us. Um, but also, I think, to your point about theological anthropology, that um, God, and, and this brings up my one of my favorite verses in Romans 8, you know, the idea that we're not, uh, our bodies are, we are not redeemed from our bodies or emancipated from our bodies in Romans 8, 23, but our bodies themselves are redeemed, which shows a very high view of the human person. Um, <laughs> and I think if we take human anthropology as a, in terms of Christology, more seriously, then we can begin, as, as you've been begun to do, I think, in a very meaningful way, begin to develop a sort of way of conceiving the human person in Christ in a way that doesn't, and I think this happens a lot, women are diminished uh, as kind of, I don't want to say second-class citizens, but their calling is questioned in a way it would never happen if, if you took the words out of a man's mouth and gave it to a woman to say, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think also in terms of... Um, we, we ultimately, in my mind, and this was told to me by John Goldingay, who was our priest uh, when, when, I, when we were in seminary, uh, he basically said, men and women are in the image of God, and if you only have men representing God's image, you have a de- deformed view of God, and, mm-hmm. and also not only of God, but how God is, and mm-hmm. you need both images together 
uh, as God's representatives in the world, as God's ambassadors, if you would. And I think tying Christology and using Christology as the lens for anthropology gives us a way of kind of getting past the, well, um, Galatians 3.28 or 1 Timothy 2.12, you know, kind of get it gets us around the proof texting a little bit and gets Mm -hmm. us, I think, to see uh, toward a constructive theology that actually begins as what you're doing from the ground up. So we don't just begin with what does this proof text say within my ecclesiological, you know, modern context, but what is the God revealed in Jesus Christ shown to do in creation? You know, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's kind yeah. of a way I yeah. see kind of what you're saying and what I'm seeing. And, and I think if we're going to be quote gospel centered, then the gospel begins with the incarnation of this eternal son of God through the Virgin Mary. So I think that's great. I think it's so good. And, you know, there uh, there are some um, Anglicans uh, complementarian concern, which, you know, this is a tandem. But, you know, what it means to be a complementarian as a Baptist is different than what it means to be complementarian as an Anglican. Exactly. Because as an Anglican, women can be ordained to the diac- – as a yeah. complementarian Anglican, uh, ACNA, to the diaconate. They can preach. Yeah. They can't um, serve at the table. And so when you say that to a Baptist complementarian, (laughs) they're like a, you know, to to them, you can't preach and be a complementarian. But anyway, so that's besides the point. Yeah, different circles. Yeah, different, yeah, centers of the service too. (laughs) Yes, but I make that point because some of those Anglicans will say, well, women can't serve at the table um, because Jesus came as a man. And therefore, women can't represent Christ in that in that kind of real presence way at the table. And Emily McGowan had a, a good response to this. Um, she teaches at Wheaton, and she went back and forth with another person about this. And actually, T.F. Torrance, who yes. um, is a theologian, who um, was a student of Bart, Carl Bart, um, has a really good um article in a or a book a chapter in a book um on on women's ordination but it deals with this idea of can women represent christ (laughs) who was a man so i think nick you're 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 right in that our salvation when it talks about jesus christ it's not um the emphasis doesn't fall on his main being a man or manliness, but that he took on human flesh. He took on humanity. Therefore he can redeem all humanity. Um, yes, he became a man. He became a Jewish man, Mm -hmm. but even through a Jewish man, he can redeem Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think you are, um, you're right in that. And, you know, also just this idea of, uh, you mentioned John Golden Gay, um, if we start reducing the image of God to just that of a man, um, even just practically speaking, if, if our practical theology is that men can only serve as God's ambassadors, then we've made God in our image. Hmm. Um, God is, is, can't be reduced just to one, one um, gender. Um, in fact, I would say uh, the fullness of masculinity and femininity is in God or else we couldn't be made in, in his image. And yeah. so I do, I, I, there is a dissonance. There's a disconnect between, I think what we say um, with our theology and on how it's worked out and practice on the ground. And I do think part of that is because we have received and over throughout church history, a skewed 
uh, a skewed vision, a skewed theology of women being made in God's image. I mean, you read throughout church history what they've said about women yeah. as, um, you know, being uh, having a defect or um, being an appendage to men or... Um, I have a book here. It says that women are not perfected in wisdom. Um, so I think that we have inherited these these um, wrong views of women as as they are made in God's image and in Christ in, in being women redeemed in Jesus Christ that we haven't really dealt with. Mm. I think as 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 we should. Um, and we really do need to begin the conversation with Christ, not in that we lose our genders or lose our identity of who we are, mm. but that we find who we really are in Jesus Christ. Mm. And um, we aren't, I think it's, some people in the church, when it comes to women, have this platonic um, theology where, you know, yeah, women, men and women are one in Jesus Christ and their salvation and some kind of spiritual reality, but that has no on the ground bearing. Mm. But that's not how Paul, um, that's not how you read Paul with Jews and Gentiles. Right. They're one in Christ. So he wants them to share a meal together. <laughs> yep. They're mm-hmm. on the ground practical ramifications for mm. this theology. And so, um, yeah, it, to me, just that, that makes a huge difference um, starting with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I, I remember reading that article by TF Torrance. Uh, I think it was before I started seminary. So I was already pretty egalitarian. What was the title exactly? I, I for, it's TF Torrance on women's ordination. I think I forget exactly. It's, um, I don't remember the exact title, but I think I have it right here. Let's see. Um, I think part of a book that um, I could be wrong on this, that Wiffenstock had published, that, like collected, collected, writings or articles yeah and he made this point that always struck with me he's like um in the in the virgin birth and in the incarnation that is god's massive response and i I think he used the phrase patriarchy because he said god saw fit to skip man and go straight and deal with woman and i was sitting there and i kind of sat there and i kind of like you know, of course, my first thought is Galatians 4, you know, God sent forth his son at the proper time, you know, born through a woman, born under the law. And I was sitting there, I'm like, and of course, and I'm sitting here holding my son, mm-hmm. um, not to say he is, you know, divine, although I don't know, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen him walk or levitate yet, so I can't say that for sure. But there is something, um, I think, deeply profound about, as you and I've talked about, and we've, we've mentioned, grounding it Christologically, but also realizing and affirming that... Um, while the early church and medieval church, uh, to a large extent, kind of viewed women as needing to become more like men. So, you know, virginity and asceticism kind of made them more uh, masculine-ish, which was a good thing. The New Testament yeah. uh, brings this up, and I was struck by this, in the book of Revelation, where it describes the men as being virgin and being all these sorts of things. Mm. And I was struck by that uh, as a New Testament guy. And I was like, so what you have here is the reversal of what is considered um, it's almost as it's not to say that they're feminine, but it's using qualities that are attributed to women to describe male purity or human purity and mm. how just the idea of how God seems very content to not really give a darn about how we try to conceive of God, um, but rather God through God's spirit basically did something so miraculous in the incarnation that humanity basically has struggled to keep up ever since and some still struggle with it but 
um, I don't know. I was just, uh, yeah, I just wanted to affirm that TF Torrance, what he said, I was just, yeah. I was so blown away when I read that. Cause I'm like, that's at the heart of our faith that God became flesh and was born of a virgin and walked among us and was died and was raised. I'm like, you know, we, I don't know. You get so lost in the proof text and the historical, grammatical and linguistic stuff that you forget that God became like us in every way so that we might become like God. So, um, yeah, if women are excluded from that, you've got a big problem. Yep. What is not assumed is not redeemed in the patristic sense. Right. Yes. And, you know, just the fact that he took his human flesh from a woman, mm-hmm. not a not a man. And so I would imagine his DNA, that his genetics, that he looked like his mother. So mm-hmm. I just think that's the beautiful kindness and loving graciousness of our God who... Yes, Jesus became a man, um, but he became a man through a woman, um, through a woman who he showed favor to and uh, who preaches the first kind of sermon on the on the incarnation, you know, what God is doing. Um, and then that Jesus just took her features. And so I, you find this both men and women um the God in my in the way I read scripture, God's plan has always been to redeem men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, they were made equally in His image, and um, in Jesus Christ, He is restoring um, in us that that image that was um, that was distorted by sin um, and the curse. So, yeah, I I love it. I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> so, we want to say thank you just so much for your time and and energy i know it's probably pretty crazy on y'all's end out there in birmingham yeah. and all that uh how are since you know since that's the reality we li- all live in how are things uh with the whole covid19 and staying at home yeah how, how are you liking yeah. being at home now <laughs> <laughs> you know we're we're homebodies so it, we are it's it's fine we uh have a lot to be grateful for my father-in-law is 80 and he has copd he lives with us oh, and good. so we do to be extra careful um at this time and you know there's there is a lot of uncertainty as to what life and even ministry is going to look like after uh covid19 and um yeah. so so yeah, I, I think we're in the same boat as, as many, you know, working and uh, we have a third grader and trying to homeschool him and uh, just just really get by, yeah. <laughs> get by with the Lord's grace. I'm, we're grateful that this uh, coming week is Holy Week. Um, mm. It's much needed at this time in our lives. So it's good that thanks he's- for us. Yeah, it's good that your dad's at home with you too. I heard that it's more dangerous to be in a Old elderly home because you're surrounded by other people that are more prone to illness. Mm, yeah, as yeah. long as the he, people in the house are quarantined several years, so yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe a, a final, a parting question. Um, yeah, you have a, a third grader. You and uh, Osvaldo are, are a team in ministry and in the work of the Spirit and in church and all that stuff. Um, what is your hope? Cause I, our hope for Nolan is that he grows up one to be kind. Of course, that's yeah. one of the things I, I really wish from the heart kind from the heart, but also that as, as a young boy, he would of course respect and empower women. And as you use the language of, of valuing and advocating for them, not as tokens, but as partners and colleagues yeah. and as friends, 
Um, so that's our hope for Nolan. But as as a mom, as a theologian, as someone who's involved in in ministry, um, what do you and Osvaldo have any specific kind of hopes and dreams for? Uh, is it Philip? It is Philip. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think like what you said, it, it's funny because <laughs> he, a few years ago, um, I was I was leaving to go speak at a conference, and he told me um, that he or to teach or something like that, and he told me that women can't teach, and I was like, oh boy, Uh-oh. How, did, <laughs> how did you become my? <laughs> That's so why you're a fake he, teacher. Had a few things like that over the years, and I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to um, hopefully correct any anything that he's getting from the culture I don't yeah. know where he's getting it from but yeah we we want him to be someone who follows the Lord God with his heart and soul and mind and who um, uh, is committed to his word and uh, by being committed to God and his word is someone who is wanting to partner with um, men and women uh, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth. So we pray that he'll grow up um, in that way. Amen. And so for anyone who's, of course, interested in getting in contact with you or following you on all the social media stuffs, um, the book is Now That I'm Called. It's with Zondervan. So people, I encourage them to pick it up, whether complementarian, egalitarian, mutualist, on the fence, all that. I I, I I really enjoyed reading the work, uh, your book, and so. And it's uh, Kristen with a K, and then is it Padilla with uh, two L's? That's right. Nice. You said it great. Perfect. In Alabama, it's Padilla. Padilla. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's no <laughs> people, people. Oh, because they don't know how to do the two. Oh, I see. <laughs> like oh. <laughs> All right. Well, for everyone, what's the what's the spelling complete spelling of your last name? Yeah, it's P-A-D-I-L-L-A. So those two L's make a Y sound. It's awesome. My husband is originally from the Dominican Republic, so it's Padilla. Awesome. And, yeah, I'm on social media. Um, I have a blog. I'm, but I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm great with any of those things, um, probably because I do those things for, <laughs> for, my, for my job. Um, but I'm always, when I'm on there, I'm always glad to connect and I do try to answer emails from every person who sends me, um, something with a request or question. Um, so yeah, please reach out to me. Yeah. So your blog is, uh, kristenrpedia.com uh, or www yeah. and all that stuff. And so should be the first thing that comes. We'll, we'll put a link for all of this in the show notes for, for people, uh, including a link to the book, but um, we just wanted to say thank you just so much for taking your time in this incredibly crazy and wow. unpredictable time to talk about something that this podcast and my wife and I and many, many other people are, are excited about and working to to make a reality. And if any of um, you guys out there um, just have some serious questions on your calling and what that's going to look like um, in real time and space, um, especially if you're hitting a lot of um, walls and need to know how how do I how do I um, find a way an outlet where I'm at? Um, please do give um, Kristen a, a message. Yeah, and so we just wanted to say thank you so much for for taking the time to to hop on with the three of us. He's 
Nolan's asleep on my lap right now, holding my my finger. Uh, he's he's out. He's got a grip. Uh, but we just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to to hang out with us. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm so honored that you would ask me to be your guest, and I appreciate your ministry and pray that um, God would continue to bless both of your ministries in the days ahead.